I hope you have your Bible. Let's go ahead and turn over to Philippians chapter 3. As we continue our series here in Philippians, the mindset that cannot fail. Now, as we have already seen, and it continues on in, in the scriptures, when we get saved, when we trust Christ as Savior, and he saves us from hell to heaven, when we get saved, we enter into salvation, eternal life. Now, with that, we are born into God's family. This is one of the greatest concepts for any Christian to understand. It isn't like, you know, people, when they see somebody who gets saved, the lost who are the scoffers, they'll look at them and they say, oh, they got religion. Oh, they got religion. You know, who wants religion? I mean, who wants religion? No, they were born into the family of God and now they're an actual child of God. Not everybody in the world is a child of God, contrary to some songs. Okay, it's only those, everyone's a creation of God, but it's only those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, who are actually children of God. So when we trust Christ, we're born into God's family, and while we are saved from hell forever, in a moment, okay, and in the moment that we believe, God wants us spiritual children to grow spiritually and become more like Jesus Christ every day. It's just like, you know, um, many times as children grow up, as a matter of fact, sometimes they just come right out of the womb and you look at them and they say they look just like their dad or just like their mom. Well, one of our grandchildren, when that grandchild was born, we looked and it's like, it looks just like my wife's dad, which would be the grandfather, great-grandfather, excuse me. So very unusual in that regard. But here's the truth of it. When we trust Christ the Savior, as we grow, we ought to resemble the Lord himself. Well, I'm not talking about you're going to look Jewish, okay? What I'm talking about is we should resemble him in character. And this is the way the Christian life should go. Now, how much your life and my life would be transformed has to do with, you know, how much we cooperate with the Lord in what he wants to do in our lives. And it's interesting when you see children growing up, many times they'll start taking on the characteristics of their parents, whether it's a dad, whether it's a mom, the way they stand, the way they talk, what they say, how their body language, how they walk, all these kind of things. And it's it's cute, especially when they're little. Hopefully, as we grow spiritually, well, if we grow spiritually, let me put it that way, we will start taking on the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ, referring to his character, and we will see that. And so God has a plan. God has a plan for our lives, and he has a ministry for each of us to accomplish. And so uh, let me give you this thought tonight, okay? There's a purpose for your life. You're not just here and you're not just existing except you have eternal life, all right? It's much bigger than that, much bigger than that. This was something that was made so clear to me even the night I got saved. Now, I know it doesn't happen this way with everybody, and so if you didn't have this kind of an experience, that's okay, okay? But for me, as soon as I got saved, I knew that God has something different for me to do in my life. At the time, I was halfway through art college. I was going to go into commercial art. And yet when I got saved, it was like as soon as I was saved, that night when I left that place, it was like, I've got something new I want to do with my life. I mean, complete change in, in my thinking. Simply, I, God just impressed it on my mind that he had something else. Of course, I'm doing that right now. 
Now in Philippians chapter three and verse 13, Paul says this, brethren, and this is picking up from last week. Brethren, I count my, not myself to have apprehended or arrived. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Maybe you've said it. Well, I haven't arrived yet, or well, no one's arrived yet. Well, that's what he's getting at, even about himself. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Remember, now we won't uh, cover these scriptures again. We did them last week. The first part of the chapter, Paul talked about his past. He talked about his pedigree. He talked about his learning. He talked about his status that he had as a Pharisee of the Pharisee and that he was a really good Pharisee as far as Pharisees go. And yet he says here, I haven't arrived yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. First thing I want to emphasize here tonight, remember we're talking about the mindset that cannot fail. It is this, one of the things we pick up here, learn to live within today, all right? Learn to live within today. God has given us today. He created this 24-hour period we call a day. As a matter of fact, that concept goes all the way back to the very first chapter in the Bible, okay? The evening and the morning were the first day. God provided this, and he set it up, and there's seven days in a week, and each of them increments of 24 hours apiece. Now, there's a reason he did that, and if you, as I have before, trace that concept and look up all the places where day is mentioned in scripture, you're going to find that God has created it and designed it specifically to go along with the way he made man. And maybe not just that, but that certainly is one of the reasons we can handle 24 hours. We can handle that. What we can't handle is taking our entire life history and tacking it onto today as far as carrying that in our minds, or maybe along with that, or instead of taking the past, looking too far in the future and taking that and trying to carry that today. No, what we have today is today. That's the way we need to see. If we live in the past, we will ruin today and handicap ourselves and our effectiveness for the Lord. It's like a ball and chain if we live in the past. If we live in the future, we will often worry and rob ourselves of the joy that God wants us to have today. Most of what we worry about anyway never comes to pass, and yet we all do it. I do it, you do it, uh, we all do. God wants us to learn within today. When I get up tomorrow, this day, today, as I'm speaking, will have been spent, can't do another thing with it. Can't do another thing with it. So there's no reason to try to drag it along. So live within today. Now that, with that, number two, we need to forget about the past. We need to forget the past. Do you see that, what Paul talks about in verse 13? This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, can I tell you this? And we'll get to a little bit more detail on this in a minute. That's not just the bad stuff. In a sense, it's also the good stuff. You see, the bad stuff is like a ball and chain that will wreck us and slow us down. 
But can I tell you this, folks? If we dwell too much on the good things that have happened in the past, maybe accomplishments where God's used us and so forth, what can that lead to? Well, that can lead to pride, arrogance. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look at the people I led to Christ. You know, look at this, look at that. Look at my title or what I've, my degrees or or whatever, that kind of stuff. That's a problem. Paul says, you know what? I'm not going to live in the past. I'm not going to live in the past. You don't allow yourself to dwell on the bad things of the past when they come up or things you regret. And so let's go back, like I mentioned was going to do, this issue of forgetting the past or forgetting those things which are behind. If we dwell on the past, it's going to bring us down. It's a bondage, okay? What God wants us to do is forget about that. And the only way you can is replacing those thoughts with that which is good. Everybody has things, I believe, that haunt them or that come up from time to time about their past. Paul had a lot of stuff. Even though he was a Pharisee, as we're going to see in just a moment, he had a lot of accomplishment in the Jewish community. He said, listen, I consider what I've had in the past dung compared to what I have now in Christ. You don't allow yourself to dwell on the bad things of the past when they come up or things you regret. Instead, you replace those things with good things, good thoughts. And I think this is where one of the most powerful tools God's given us can come into play, and that's through Scripture memory. Memorizing Scripture, okay? Things will come. They will. Things will come. We've all made mistakes. We all have regrets, okay? Hurts. Things will come, but what do we need to do? We need to shift the focus and refuse to think about those and shift the focus to the things of Christ. You're in chapter three. Just look across the page. Well, I guess it depends on how your Bible's set up. To Philippians chapter four and verse eight, and we'll get there soon in a week or two. It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, okay, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, virtue is like moral value to it. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what are we supposed to do? Think on those things. Think on those things. Verse 9, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. We are to meditate on those things, okay? And we are to do, and the word do here is the idea you just don't do it one time. It's that we make it a lifestyle. This is the way we ought to live as believers. So when uh, things of the past come up, regrets, things that haunt us, failures, hurts, what do we need to do? They're there. We know they're there. Just say, Lord, Please take these. I'm going to focus on what's profitable today. To use this one 24-hour day as well as I can and as good as I can for you. Now, what things was Paul to forget? Well, again, his past. And there were good accomplishments and there were bad accomplishments. Okay, remember, he was a highly regarded Pharisee But he was also involved, now catch this, he was also involved in having Christians martyred. He wasn't even a believer, okay? 
He was a Pharisee. He thought he was doing the will of God, as a matter of fact. And so he was responsible for getting Christians, dragging them out, even men and women, out of their homes and dragging them to the authorities and then having them put in jail and, and these people martyred. Remember when Stephen was stoned to death, who was there holding the cloak and the clothes and so forth? It was Paul. He was Saul back then. I'm sure these things are still there in his mind. The regrets must have been tremendous in his life. But how did he end up so successful as a believer? He learned how to forget those things which are behind. Terrible, heinous things that he had been a part of. As a matter of fact, he was a blasphemer. Not only that, I want you to see something. Turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And it says in verse 15, Paul is writing, he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world, watch this, to save sinners, look at the next phrase, of whom I am chief. He says, I'm the top sinner of all, okay? Now, some people read that and say, well, you know, that's just, that's what he's supposed to say or whatever. Remember, friends, this is under inspiration of the scriptures. Everything in the scriptures is there for a reason. I think Paul considered that. Why? He loved the Lord so much, he was so bothered by the fact that he had persecuted the Lord in persecuting believers. So the key to dealing with the past is to recognize that while there were problems in Jesus Christ, there is victory. The past cannot be undone, nor do we fully have to understand all the whys of the past. Here's the issue. To dwell on the problems of the past is to continue in a state of defeat. God wants us to be victorious, not defeated. Friend, if you're a believer, you are saved by the grace of God, the unmerited kindness, okay, the undeserved mercy and favor of God. You're a child of God. Your sins are forgiven, okay? God loves you. How much does he love? Enough to die for you. God loves you, and the Bible talks about his love as an everlasting love. Love is not just something God does. Love is something he is. It's actually one of his attributes. First John says God is love. God is love. Now let's go back to Philippians, and we're going to go to verse 13 again, then go into 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things, putting those things which are behind, uh, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He says, I'm gonna look to the future and I'm gonna look to Christ and keep my eyes on him. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Which brings us to our third point is this, pressing on to the future. Pressing on to the future. What have we seen? We need to learn to live within today. We need to forget the past and we need to press on to the future. What is God's will for us? Our, God's will for us is not to live in the past. God's will for us is to glorify Christ with our lives. Now let me touch on something else here. Maybe you're a Christian and you've just basically wasted your life for many, many years. You haven't lived for the Lord and maybe you're starting to understand it and, and God's really getting to you and convicting you, all right? And you may be carrying a lot of guilt 
for all the years and time that you've wasted. Let me tell you something, friend. All you need to do is see it as God does. Confess it to him. And it's done. It's over. Okay? Go on. It's like if you were, let's say, playing uh, football in the mud. And you get done and you're, you're covered from head to toe in, in mud. And then what do you do after the game? You go in and you take a shower and all the mud goes down the drain, okay? It's gone, never to be seen by you again. When we confess our sins, it's mud that goes right down the drain. It's gone. You are clean. Understand that. So we can look to the future with new enthusiasm and confidence. Why? Because I'm forgiven. We're forgiven. That's why. God's will for us. What is it? To glorify Christ with our lives. And what does that involve? Well, it involves evangelism. It involves discipleship. It involves having a godly home, a godly marriage. It involves being a good parent. It involves being a good employee at work. Okay? It chooses to go forward and doing it all by the grace of God and the power of God. But this is the future. Again, Maybe you've blown it in the past. We all have made mistakes. We've all sinned. We've all done things wrong, even since we got saved. But God says, you know what? Don't live in the past. Live today, looking to the future, but live today for my glory. That is what God wants for us. Paul had not arrived to complete Christian maturity. Okay, He hadn't fulfilled his ministry yet that God had for him. He pressed on. We see that in verse 14, to be all that God wanted him to be. And then what does he say? Look at this last part. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I personally believe, now there's different ideas on this. I think he's thinking, he's looking forward to the reward, the honor that he's going to get, the recognition when he stands before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. He was looking to the prize. Okay, that's a reward. That's not a gift. A prize here is a, is a reward. And he looked forward to that. Verse 15. Let us therefore as many as be perfect or mature, be thus minded. In other words, think this way. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Okay? Be thus minded. In other words, we need to be striving together to live faithfully for Christ. If you are thinking a different way or you don't understand all that God has for you, what's the Lord going to do? God's going to reveal that to you. As long as your desire is to go on to serve the Lord, okay? Start where you're at. Start with the progress you've made and now move forward with that. That's what God wants us to do. Verse 16, Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained... Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Again, don't digress. (laughs) We've attained to a certain point of Christian maturity in our lives. You know, sometimes we get to a point and then we, we stray. We can get off track or whatever. Things can come into our lives that get us sidetracked or discouraged or defeated and so forth. God says, no, look, look, look. Keep going, okay? You've made progress. You've grown to a point. You've attained to a point. Let us walk by the same rule, okay? Let us mind the same thing. Don't digress. Use the truth you've learned to go forward. And of course, that truth is the word of God and the truths we get out of 
the word of God. You know, you see the same concept of this, don't go backwards, go forward in the book of Hebrews. You see a lot of that in the book of Hebrews. At the end of chapter five, the writer of Hebrews rebukes them. He said, you know what? By this time, you ought to be teachers, but you've got to relearn the stuff you learned when you were baby Christians. And then chapter six, he's basically saying, listen, you can't start over again. Let's go on now to maturity. Let's grow up as a Christian. And I think Paul wrote Hebrews. We don't know that for sure. I think he did. And this is really the same concept. Start where you're at today and move forward for Christ and live faithfully until you see Jesus either at the rapture or at death. And it's interesting here the, uh, in verse 16, nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. This word rule is the word canon, C-A-N-O-N, not C-A-N-N-O-N. And the idea is the, uh, that which everything is measured by. Everything is measured by that, okay? One of the titles of the word of God is the canon of scripture. Why? It is the rule. It is the standard. Okay, can I say it's the gold standard? This is it. And this is what we are to go by and live our lives with. Truth is found in scripture. It is the foundation we need to build on to be effective for the Lord. It is the tool that God gives us so we can effectively fulfill the mission that he has for our lives. Now again, maybe you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, even 70s, maybe even older And maybe you're the kind of person who you've been saved for decades, but you kind of felt like you wasted your life. You know what Satan wants you to do? He wants you to think this way. You know what? I've blown it. God can't use me. That's what he wants you to think. You know what that is? You're looking at your past. Yeah, in your past, you blew it. But guess what? Today is today, and you still have the future to live. And so what does God want you to do? What God wants you to do is he wants you to use the time you have left. I say, oh yeah, but I've wasted, yeah, but you know what? There you go. You're going back into the past again. Can't live there. It's done. What we can do is effectively use the time we have. And the truth of it is this, dear friend, you can end up being more fruitful than a lot of believers. It's just a matter of how much do you want to grow and walk with the Lord? You know, the word of God, as I mentioned, is the truth of God. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them, his disciples. He was talking to the father. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Let's go back to Philippians chapter three. It says, brethren, be followers, verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example or an example, okay? Be followers together of me. The word followers here is we get our word imitator from. And mark them which walks so as you have us to be an example or for an example. Our fourth point tonight is this, being an example. I heard a saying many years ago and it stuck with me. It was this, you're either an example or a shame. You're either an example or a shame. By being an example, we are focused on living a godly life so that others won't stumble and they can see what a Christian life is supposed to be like. So if I am committed to being an example, that's going to be another motivating factor in my life to keep going, all right? 
I'm not going to get sloppy in my Christian life. Why? Somebody may see me and think, oh, I guess that's the way I'm supposed to be. And then they start doing things they shouldn't be doing. Or somebody may see me who understands right from wrong and say, boy, I'm offended by that. Or boy, that's a stumbling block to me, them doing that or being that way. But if instead we're thinking, you know what? I want to, as I live for Christ, I'm going to live for Christ. And by doing that, then we end up being examples. And that's very, very important for us. You know, uh, I don't hear much of it nowadays, but it used to be a thing when I was growing up, there was a saying that you would hear. Some parents would say to their children, don't do as I do, do as I say, right? Well, that just doesn't fly. That just doesn't cut it. As a matter of fact, a lot of those kids who heard that grow up to be in rebellion towards God because the example of their parent and sometimes Christian parent was a hypocritical one. And they realize there's no reality there. You know, they live a certain way during the week. And then when Sunday comes, they go to church and act a different way. Kids see right through that. Kids can tell those kind of things. No, we need to be genuine, genuine all the time. The way you are at church is the way you are at home. The way you are at home is the way you are at church or wherever you go. Okay, you go on vacation. You don't become a wicked person when you go on vacation. Well, there's nobody here I know. (laughs) Well, God's there. God's there. And and by the way, what about what you're supposed to be living your life for as a Christian? Did that stop when you went on vacation? Friend, the worst thing we can do is go on vacation and become carnal. We need to be plugged in. We need to keep walking with the Lord. We need to be an example to others. And by the way, if we are committed to living for Christ and Jesus Christ is our passion, you're not going to have to worry about what your example is because that'll take care of itself. It's a great way to live. That's what living under grace is like. Verse 18, well, verse 17 again. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. And then he says this in parentheses in verses 18 and 19. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now this is just the opposite of what God has for us. There were those who were the enemies of the cross of Christ. Do you see that? Now, what does that mean? Well, it could mean that they were lost people who held to a false plan of salvation. It could mean that. I think it could also mean, though, that the cross signifies crucifixion of self. And Paul's already talked about that. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He talked about being offered up and so forth. It could be crucifixion of Self and a denial of self. It was seeing oneself as dead. They were the enemies of the cross, meaning they did not stand for what the cross stood for. When you would see in those days someone carrying their cross, you knew exactly what it was. They were going to die. They were on their way to dying. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And so these are enemies. And why do I take that approach that this is more of a practical thing instead of having to do with the gospel so much? Well, the reason is, read on, whose end is destruction, their life is going to be destroyed, and here it is, whose God is their belly. In other words, what do they live for? Their own appetites their own desires. They're not living for Christ. They're not living to be an example. This is in contrast to being an example. They're not living an example. They're living for themselves, for whatever they want to live for, and whose glory is in their shame. And you notice where their minds are. They mind earthly things, the things of this world, the temporary things. Well, that's certainly not what Philippians has been teaching us. The focus of Philippians is that which is eternal, as we're going to see here in just a moment. These were fleshly people who were only concerned about their own agendas and their own desires, and they certainly weren't good examples. What a contrast to Paul and those who were committed to being godly examples. Verse 20, for our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven, From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That word conversation, again, it means citizenship. In other words, this is our standing. This is our home. This is where we're going to spend forever. This is our homeland. You see, America's great, but heaven's a lot better than that. Notice, though, something here interesting how this reads. In verse, notice in verse 20, it is actually inseparably linked to verse 17. You notice, and I already mentioned it, verses 18 and 19 are in a parenthesis. If you take those out, look at the powerful statement that this gives. Here's what you have. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them so as ye have us for an example. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, here it is again. The whole concept of salvation by grace. God gives us this precious gift of eternal life. He gives us a home in heaven. He gives us a new nature. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us a local church. He gives us the word of God. And then he says, that's where you're going to spend eternity. You're going to spend eternity in heaven. Now, be an example of somebody who's going to be spending an eternity in heaven. What a great, great concept that is. In other words, citizens of heaven ought to live that way. How? Like we belong there and not here. Our focus, our appetite should be things spiritual, not things carnal. Our desire should not be to please our flesh. Our desire should be to please the Lord. Hold your place here for a moment. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 6. And I would bet these are um, familiar verses to you. Matthew 6 in verse 19. Jesus said this, he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Why is that? There are no thieves in heaven. All the sin natures are left behind. Isn't that great? And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What's he saying? What you value the most is what you love. 
What you value the most is where your heart is. If we are committed to laying up treasures in heaven, that means our heart is with the Lord. We love him. If we don't, but we're, we're more focused on our own belly, so to speak, and our own appetites, we're not going to be laying up treasures in heaven. If we're more focused, if we love the things of this world, that shows us where our heart is. See, what occupies our minds, what occupies our time, what we live for is what we love most. It's just the way it is. What we allow to occupy our minds and lives is what we value the most. You know, this is a good time for us at the end of this chapter here to look. Look at ourselves, okay? Let's look at our lives. What is my life filled with? What matters most to me? Is it what matters most to God? It should. I can tell you this, friend. If I'm not living for what matters most to God, I'm not being a good example. If I am living for what matters most to God, I am being a good example. And we're called to do that, aren't we? One more passage. Turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Talking about what we have to look forward to as a believer. The moment we trust Christ the Savior, look at it in verse 4. It says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. Okay, incorruptible means it cannot decay. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, because it's eternal, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You notice that? If you've trusted Christ the Savior, you have a reservation in heaven reserved from you. One day you're going to check in. Isn't that great to know? And you notice this in verse 5, we are kept not by our works. We're kept by the power of God. How did all that begin? Through faith unto salvation. When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, he gives you salvation as a gift. can be yours. You know, you could possibly be a new viewer tonight, and you're not sure where you're going when you die. Friend, you can get it settled right now. Let me show you what God has done for you, because he loves you so much. Let's pretend this is you and me, and this wallet represents the things we do wrong, our sin. Here we are. We have sin. Yet God loves us. He hates our sin. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless because heaven's a perfect place. No sin can dwell there, but we've sinned. And God says, because we've sinned, that sin has to be paid for. And the only payment that God will accept is death. Okay, we'd have to die not only physically, but if we die with our sin, we'll be separated from God eternally, spiritually from him in hell. Now, God doesn't want that for any of us. Well, what are we going to do? People think, well, I'll do good things. I'll, I'll be good. I'll do good works. I'll make commitments to God. I'll make promises to God, things that I'm going to change and bad things, get rid of those and start to, good. all of those things are good works. And none of those things, friend, while they may be good, none of those things will pay for the sin. The only payment for sin is death. Now that really puts us in a bad spot. Scripture though says this, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, here's the truth of it. Because God loves us so much, he sent Jesus into the world to come into the world sinless. And when he went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself and he made the payment so that we don't have to. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He's paid for all your sin. All he's asking you to do is trust in him that he made that payment for you. 
The moment you trust in him, all your sins are forgiven. He gives you everlasting life. He gives you an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. You are kept saved by God, by the power of God. How did you come into salvation? Do you see it in verse five? Through faith, through faith. Not faith and works, not faith and faithfulness, okay? Faith alone in Christ alone. Another word for faith is believe. All God's asking you to do is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him, put your faith in him, believe in him that he has paid for all your sins and that's how you go to heaven. And when you trust in him, he'll give you eternal life. I hope that makes sense to you. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.